everyone. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I see dead people. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? And knowing is half the battle. What, the deuce? Must have the precious. And I'll form the head. You are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away. What are you talking about, Willis? Wow, infotainment. Welcome to this extra special episode of Transmissions Extra, where we are, well, where we, well, so far it's just me, it's just Nazi Mike over here, but I am joined by someone super, super special. For those of you who love Empire of Rust, you might recognize him as the voice of Leatherback of Immigration Guard Number One, (laughs) (laughs) and the upcoming Waveform. Or lamplighter. Or lamplighter. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that too. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's lamplighter. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Brandon Willette. I'm a friend of Snazzy Mike's and uh, have had the uh, distinct pleasure of being able to voice some of the NPCs and other characters on Empire of Rust. Uh, and super happy to be on the podcast to talk about Transformers stuff. Awesome. And it's great that you actually uh, happened upon us today because uh, Brandon, I just got a, a comment on the Empire of Rust uh, channel over here on uh, on the Transmissions Discord, and they are talking about your voice performance and how good it is. So, oh, really? Yeah. Was this for the new one with Lamplighter? Yep, yep. Oh, nice. uh, no, I'm sorry, not Lamplighter. This is uh, oh, do, 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 episode 101 that just came out uh, this week. Oh, nice. That's so nice. Which is part of me. My dog is barking in the background. Which, now that you mentioned, actually, I think is Lamplighter. So, yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the newest one was Lamplighter. But that's awesome. Well, I'm glad people are uh, enjoying that stuff. It's super fun. So, yeah, as uh, Brandon mentioned, we are going to be talking about the Transformers RPG today. Not Empire of Rust, which admittedly is still the greatest trans- Transformers RPG podcast out there. But we're going to be talking about the Renegade Games Transformers RPG that was released uh, in tw- uh, last year in 2022. So we thought that we'd get together and talk about some character creation stuff and how to build characters in this new system and just kind of give you a very basic overview of the, the system itself. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great place to start when it comes to a new RPG. I think a lot of people get excited about character creation. I think when we are looking at RPGs, new or old, I think most of our first thought comes down to character creation because we have all these ideas for cool and fun characters, and they are the primary vessel for either players, but it's also an important thing for game masters to consider because how characters run depend you know changes how you run your adventures or missions i think would be the term better used for for transformers and uh michael and i uh were able to get together and i ran a brief uh adventure based uh it was basically the um adventure in the back of the uh core rule book for the new uh transformers rpg by renegade studios uh made some adjustments to it myself as game masters are wont to do uh, but sat down and made the characters for the group and then handed them out to everybody so we could just play. Uh, and I think I learned a lot about it. And I was talking to Mike about it. And so we thought we would share our thoughts and 
uh, opinions about it here, as well as just sort of walk through the character creation steps. Troubled Waters was the the adventure in the in the back of the book. There, it's a yes, very short three part little mini adventure, uh, and Renegade has already put out uh, several other uh, several other things that are going to be run for uh, for Transformers. Uh, they released the uh, Beacon of Hope, uh, a standalone adventure. I think it's like a 60, 70 page. Uh, book and the time is now uh, just released that uh, the time is mm. now get it uh, just now <laughs> uh, that actually just released and I just got my copy in yesterday uh, and this one is a a full hardcover something like a 200 300 page book that is uh, effectively six adventures like six three-part adventures uh, that you can run your characters through. So that's a very exciting thing to to get. Yeah, and I believe, I don't remember which one it is, but I believe uh, Renegade also released a bunch of pre-generated characters so that if you're maybe uncertain about making a character and you want to see how the system runs at first, you can play like a level one version of like Bumblebee and RC uh, and maybe Wheeljack. I don't remember exactly who was in there, but they released some uh, pre-generated characters for people to run with that uh, first adventure they released after the core rulebook. That is awesome. Did you uh, grab any of that stuff for the adventure that you were writing up? No, I think that by the time that came out or that I saw it was out, I had already sat down and, and done all of uh, the characters. Nice. Um, and so that was already done. And it was fun. I, I as someone who I mean, I've been running uh, D&D for over well over a decade now. Uh, God, almost two decades. Gosh, I'm old. Uh, but um, And so I'm super into like mechanics and how the mechanical end of RPGs interact with the, the storytelling and like character concept and fantasy and how that sort of gets implemented. Uh, and I'm super always interested in trying out new systems. Um, and so as a big fan of Transformers and seeing a new system, uh, I was super excited to try it out. And I think we learned a lot. Both, you know, the adventure went pretty smoothly. Some, you know, hiccups here and there as uh, <laughs> learning a new system and running it is want to do. Mm, um, totally true. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think if we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this sort of uh, conversation, I think the thing that I realized, and I'm glad that I did it this way, because I think traditionally when we make characters for RPGs, we typically have an idea in our head already of who we want our character to be. And they're sort of an island unto themselves. Like, if I'm going to sit down and make a character for, like, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, like, I might already have an idea for my sort of, like, uh, you know, half-orc barbarian, and they're going to do this. I'm going to plan for this specialization. I want to use this kind of weapon. Uh, you know, this is going to be my, you know, basic, like, character, like, archetype and concept and then we'll sort of sit down as a group and uh like figure out how they're gonna all interact together um you know some people choose to sit down and build uh their characters as a group and i think that with this system i think that it's best to do it due to character creation with the group um the system seems super team focused where everyone is going to have skills and also deficiencies um where because of the way systems with like you're having skills and if you don't, you roll with a snag, it means that the things that you aren't good in, you're really bad in and you're going to need your friends to sort of supplement that with their skills. Did we talk about what a snag is already? 
Oh, we didn't. Uh, so yeah, so in this game, there are, instead of, uh, for anyone who's familiar with other systems like 5th edition D&D, I will probably reference that the most uh, often during this episode, just because it seems to be the most, uh, like, common, uh, like, TCRPG experience for a lot of people these days, which makes sense. It's a huge game. So that will probably be, like, sort of, like, the, the common level conversation in terms of terminology I'll be comparing to. Um, so instead of advantage or disadvantage, like in 5th edition D&D, uh, the Renegade Transformers game uses edge and snag. And just like with advantage and disadvantage, if you roll with an edge, you roll 2d20s and you get to take the higher result. Uh, if you roll the snag, you roll 2d20s and take the lower result. Uh, and in this game, uh, if you are, let's say, trying to uh, sneak past some Decepticons and making an infiltration uh, test... Uh, if you have no ranks in infiltration, uh, which would sort of be like having a bonus, uh, like a skill bonus in D&D, uh, whereas in D&D, your base like stat, if it was like dexterity, applies to that bonus. That doesn't uh, happen in Transformers. You take ranks as those skill uh, abilities increase in various skills. And if you don't have it, by default, you roll the snag. So it's a very much a game that seems to focus on characters being specialists rather than generalists. And you can sort of spread out a little bit. I think there are some character like character uh, builds that you could do that is trying to be a bit of a jack of all trades. Um, but I would say my general thought process when I was looking at this is like the team needs to be able to work together and have strengths and weaknesses. And they should probably know what everyone's strengths and weaknesses are, because if too many people's skill ranks uh, overlap, there will be huge gaps in like what the team can do as as um, as a group. Um, that's sort of my observation. And something to, to add to that, when uh, when comparing Transformers to other other D20 systems like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or Starfinder, there's in these, these classic systems, there's generally six major uh, attributes, six major like, abilities that you're going to have. Whereas in Transformers, actually in everything that Renegade has built with the Essence 20 system, it has been stripped down to four, four mm, yes. key abilities that drive all of the skills and all of the things that you can do. As well as your defenses. Yeah, it's really been boiled down. And so you have a lot of things that we generally consider as being separate in other systems, like the idea of a character's raw strength and power versus their physical toughness is usually divided into like strength and constitution. In this game, they're all just in your strength because there are skills like athletics and strength as well as uh, conditioning, which is basically how you increase your health and is sort of what represents uh, your physical hardiness. Your toughness. Um, yeah, your toughness. Uh, you know, speed basically comes... Okay, so I guess we should probably talk about what these core uh, abilities are, also called essences in this system. Instead of having, like, the six core ability scores that you would have in something like D&D, you have your four essences, or the four S's, uh, strength, speed smarts and social strength is your physical toughness uh, in fact that's the name of the defense that applies to it speed is like your nimbleness uh, as well as uh like how many actions you can actually take in a turn is determined by your speed so it's very important determines you know your initiative how well you can use like things like uh, ranged weapons even your driving skill if you're trying to do some crazy stunt in vehicle mode 
Uh, that'll be determined uh, by your speed. Uh, and then we have smarts, which is a little bit of combination of intelligence and wisdom in other systems, because not only is it uh, going to apply to things like the science skill, which is very much like a knowledge uh, skill and technology, but will also apply to things that we generally associate with a wisdom stat in other uh, systems, such as survival or alertness, which kind of uh, translates to perception. So if you want to be a very perceptive character, I think of characters, if you want to be like a scout or an analyst like uh, Bumblebee or Hound, you would want to really increase your smarts. It's not just for scientists like Wheeljack and for Ratchet. It's for other characters as well. Um, and then there's the social stat, which is, it has a little, it's mostly like your charisma stat. It sort of works uh, very similarly to that. But it also has stuff like animal handling and streetwise, which are sort of more niche skills. Things like but diplomacy, is, bluff, intimidation. Exactly. Trying to to force your presence as uh, into the battlefield or into the, the role-playing situations. Yeah. So it's important to sort of think about what you want your character to be in these various situations. Like I think of, you know, there is certain classes that make good use. I, I say classes, they're called roles in this game, and we'll get into those later. Um, but some of them make great use of the social uh, essence. Uh, the scout, I believe, is one of them where they get extra bonuses and can take on certain specializations even when they gain bonuses to their social uh with bumblebee being a big example i would think of he's sort of like one of the primary characters i think of when i think of transformers with a high social stat just due to how he interacts with humans and he's able to make friends with many of them in his various incarnations uh, across transformers uh series you could also make the, the case that someone like mirage or sunstreaker characters who are very vain and very, very very much look at me look at how cool i am look how important i am characters Absolutely. like that would certainly have a high social score yeah I, I i totally agree so those are the essences and each one is associated with various skills uh for one example strength has athletics brawn conditioning intimidation and might and basically how what will happen is that as your characters level up and more importantly for this episode, when you're making your character, every time you increase one of these essence scores, you get to take a rank in one of these associated skills. And that increases the die that you roll with the D20 when you're making a test for one of those things. Instead of having a flat bonus to a skill roll that you make in this game, like you would in D&D, you roll an additional die, which is determined by the number of ranks in a skill. Of the characters that I made, Using strength as our continued example, I made the uh, war veteran gunner wallop. He had eight points into strength, and I put three ranks into his brawn essence. Uh, what that means is that any time he had to make a brawn skill, which would be something like it's hold on. I actually am going to look it up in the book because between athletics, brawn and might, these are all very similar sounding words, but they actually have distinct meanings if i remember right brawn was your just physical power being able to lift stuff above your head athletics was feats of of move uh not just movement but like being able to swim or climb and might mm -hmm. i believe was your your physical power when like punching or swinging swords axes hammers and what have you 
So let's say, you know, uh, if Wallop wanted to force a blast door that had been closed and want to force it open, he would make a brawn test. And since he has three ranks, uh, first rank gives you a D2, which is either a D2 die, a coin, or you roll a D4 and subtract it by half. Second rank gives you a, uh, a full D4 and a third rank gives you a D6. So I would roll a D20 and a D6, add them together, and that would be my test result. Each of these has those, and then you can specialize, which is not specifically defined in the system. They give suggested specializations for each of these skills. And basically what happens is if you can apply that specialization to a, a skill roll, you get to roll all the dice um, within that skill. So let's say... Um, I'm trying to think of one. It was pretty. It was pretty badass too, because I believe I was specialized in in I forget what it was, but there was something I was specialized in, and I had like a D8 in that in that particular skill, and I ended up rolling a D2, a D4, a D6, and a D8. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. And you get to take the highest of all of those, which is super fun. And I think one of the main reasons why I think this system there, what the designers are going for is to become a specialist because it's fun to roll this big pool of dice and pick out the highest numbers to get this high roll. So I think they want you to specialize in things, which means taking more ranks within a single skill and not spreading yourself out too thin. Um, so that's a basic overview. I don't want us to get too much into the weeds for like the broader mechanics because we are here to talk about character creation. Uh, but I figured we'd take some time to sort of define some of our terms. And if more things come up, we can define them as we go along. Any character that you've come across within Transformers lore has an equivalent or has in a, a character, has a role, has an origin and has an influence that you can use to to help recreate or to kind of inform your own character. So if you saw something that's uh, in in any of the Transformers media that you thought was really, really neat and you really wanted to be able to do that, odds are you can do that and you can you can have your character as part of that. Uh, now, we'll say that one thing that the system does kind of assume a little bit here is that you are playing Autobots because the entire system is based on uh, the it is based on the cartoon, not specifically like the G1 cartoon, but it's based off of the kind of like adventure of the week kind of session kind mm. of ideal behind your your gameplay. Yeah, it sort of does sort of take place. There's like some flavor text in there with like Bumblebee. With like there's like a section that talks about locations uh, in the, the back of the core book. And Bumblebee will reference various events and adventures that happened in the G1 cartoon, which is really interesting to me. But it sort of, I think, is a suggestion uh, that it's sort of like similar to the G1 cartoon insofar as it like it presents concepts like the Autobots are based in the Ark. Uh, and that the Decepticons have an underwater base uh, at the bottom of the ocean uh, and these sorts of various things. But I would say that, you know, the system does uh, sort of assume that you're playing Autobots. But in terms of like the exact nature of that sort of G1 tapestry that they sort of set up, I think there's a lot of room for game masters to sort of play with that, uh, whether it's sort of like it's G1, but sort of like an alternate timeline kind of G1 or, you know, that sort of thing. Adding in like beast formers, kind of like the uh, like you know Beast Wars era characters, is a little bit of a challenge in this system at the moment. Uh, Renegade is going to uh, they said they're going to be releasing additional books later on that will add 
those kind of options to it, uh, to the system, but they haven't quite materialized just yet. So as of right yeah. now, it is it is very much focused on uh, on on kind of a G1 feel like cars, trucks, vehicles kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely vehicle folks. And I feel like anytime I brought up the system to anyone, and I feel like even when you and I were talking about it for the first time, one of the first questions people ask is, can I have a beast mode? I mean, it makes <laughs> sense. Beast Wars is 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 beloved. And with the new movie coming out, Rise of the Beast, I think it's on everyone's mind. Yeah. I think right now, if someone is really hell-bent on it, the best thing you can probably do as a game master and as a player is to work together to figure out a way to reskin a vehicle into a beast mode. Like the, the the first thing I think of is like if you want to be like a bird, like a giant eagle or something like that, you take like the seeker, which is like your jet alt mode, and you reskin its abilities and sort of make it a like a, a, a bird of some kind. Downside being is that it's going to be harder for you to disguise yourself if you're a bird the size of a fighter jet. Uh, your your alt mode is not going to be as easy to hide in urban areas amongst humans if you're you know a, you know a mechanical animal or if you have like a biological exterior like the Maximals in the original Beast Wars cartoon. Uh, you're also going to be smaller than your fellow Autobots, who are going to be much larger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I would say for for those of you who are interested in this game but want to do beast modes, you can. But we might suggest waiting until Renegade releases the proper supplement for it, and feel free to learn the system with uh, the assumptions that they have in mind. But if you really hell bent on it, you can do it. You know. The sky's the limit when it comes to TTRPGs as they offer a framework. But if you want to do the work to to build your own stuff for it, you know, go for it. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's actually jump into how to create a character in the system. As you mentioned before, there are three kind of big things here. There's roles, there's origins, and there's influences. So why don't you mm-hmm. go ahead and start us off with some influences? What are they? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of these things sort of sound similar to other systems, but their their terms might be different than you might initially assume. So when we're generally looking at character creation in other RPGs, there's generally some sort of way to choose like what your character was before they became an adventurer, a hero, or in this case, a heroic Autobot. Um, some systems call that uh, backgrounds. Uh, some might call them origins, but those are referred to something else in this game. Uh, in the renegade system, those are called influences. Uh, these are basically, I like to think of them as what your character's role was or occupation was on Cybertron before the war. Um, or you could make it that like their, um, position during the great war is part of this. These provide small benefits things uh they all provide a perk that you can uh pick from uh one of them a if you want it to be a former senator uh from like Cybertron perk would be you get to choose a deception or persuasion specialization um that could be something like bluff um and then whether or not you invested into that specialization uh you gain an edge or advantage on skill tests when that specialization comes into play so you'll each of them have their own sort of perk like this um and then they have uh potential hangups and suggested characteristics. I see these as mostly flavor. I would say that if you want to, if you're more of like a mechanics mind player, you can sort of look for things that can really optimize what you want to do. The one I think of off the top of my head is the drive or the racer influence, uh, which is great for if you are any sort of uh, vehicle, you can very easily give yourself uh, quite a big bonus 
on tests to do anything driving related in your alt mode by investing into the racer uh, influence. But I see these most as uh, cool flavor things to think about, like how it adds to your character's personality. Michael, have you spent some time looking through these uh, influences and sort of getting a feel for what they sort of offer players? Yeah, certainly. And one of the, the really big things that I like about this is that each influence has a table of uh, what's called bonds. And uh, these are mm. not like these are not anything mechanical. Like these are yeah, mechanical transformers. Nice. <laughs> uh, these aren't any. I feel like it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> I think so. These aren't any like these don't provide any mechanical advantages or disadvantages. But what they are is just a nice little random way of determining what your kind of how you your character is going to look at life and how they're going to perceive the world. So, for example, mm-hmm. the inventor influence has a whole bunch of bonds. Uh, like one of them is human biology fascinates me. Another one is I. <laughs> <laughs> another is I once invented technology that ended up in the Decepticons hands. These are what a cool like way, like that's like such a great like seed for like character exactly. motivations and personality exactly yeah. right like all of this stuff right here is just is just pure catnip for the uh, the games master to sprinkle in some some adventure hooks and some story plots that specifically uh, focus on your character and allows a very easy way to have your character shine yeah, I sort of see these very similar to the ideals, bonds, and flaws of 5th edition D&D, which I think a, a lot of people have sort of discarded. Uh, I think they have like an idea for their character, and so they don't really use those. But I'm of the opinion that when you're making your character and first started playing, that's when you know your character the least well. And that you're often not going to know how your character is going to react to things or what their like opinions are on stuff. Um, and so these sorts of bonds, I feel like are a great way, like as a reference point, it's like a nice starting place. And obviously all these things can change, right? I think the best characters uh, in during, during your time playing an RPG are those that are different at the end of that campaign from where they start. So, you know, I think that no one should look at these as being restrictive that like my character has to now follow this, like description of their personality, but as a place, if you're ever sitting down and playing, like, what would my character do? You know, you sit down and you reference that. Um, and it can be a great place to start from, you know, f- be full of inspiration. Like, like Michael said, referencing some of these inventor bonds. There's so many cool ideas for, for ideas for like what your character cares about or what they don't care about. We know maybe they don't care about humans and that could be a very interesting uh, point of conflict. Very true. And one last part to influences is what are called hangups. And I know you mentioned these uh, before a bit there, Brandon. These mm-hmm. are uh, the effectively the reverse of perks. And a perk is just like a little benefit that you get from, from whatever class feature or role feature that you have. But what this hangup is, is it's a, a negative that is a really good way to help define your character in terms of quirks, like personality quirks, uh, personality, like, I, again, personality hangups, things that they're, they're doing that might not be as, as efficient or as effective, but will provide some, some life and some personality to the characters. So, for example, you have a hangup called uh, Earth Spoiled. Earth spoiled means that you really love all of Earth culture. And 
to the to the point where you might get distracted during battle if you see some really amazing or interesting piece of like of earth of earth art of earth culture think of beachcomber or hound right <laughs> exactly uh, it didn't i wasn't able to to make it come into play too much on the character that you made for me brandon um mm. but like as i was kind of like driving through the the like the canyons of uh i think it was utah we were passing through uh it might have been nevada I think. nevada right right you know i tried to, to kind of like like have my character he names the showboat uh distracted by some <laughs> of the the uh the just the beauty of earth yeah no and i think characters with flaws can be really fun these do have a bit more of a mechanical implication uh than other systems where it's more for flavor and i'll also mention that is that like when you're making your character you actually don't have to take the hang-ups associated with these influences unless you take more than one um, if I remember correctly, when you're making your character, you can choose up to three influences, uh, which can make for a really interesting combination when you are building a character. If you think about just having one, you know, that makes, you know, something pretty clear cut. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm trying to think of a character that would just have one. Uh, I guess maybe um, like Prowl. Uh, you could sort of think of him as being like having the security influence, and that's pretty much it. But, however, I would say for something like Optimus Prime, you could potentially have two uh, influences in the not just like the war veteran, uh, but maybe something like the bureaucrat from his time as a clerk in the Hall of Records as Orion Pax, uh, which also gives him would give him some social benefits. So there's some interesting combinations you can do with these. But if you do choose more than one. Every, I think you can choose up to three. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's correct. Right here in the book. Um, yeah, you can choose up to three. For each one after the first, you have to select a hang-up associated with those additional uh, influences. And they will have a list of them that are associated with each one, which can be really fun. Um, I will say that some of them feel a little cumbersome for the GM to implement at every <laughs> Uh, potential encounter. Right. Uh, there's one like uh, impulsive. Uh, it says in the book, you are reckless and rash, taking that shot at the lead Decepticon when your mission is only supposed to be reconnaissance. No matter the circumstances, you never gain the benefits of surprise. Additionally, you take one downshift, we'll talk about downshifts, on your first skill test after you roll initiative. Now, I understand sort of like the idea behind this, the idea that your character is so gung-ho to run into battle that they sort of like, as the group might be like sneaking up on some Decepticons, that your character just so is like, hey, Decepticreeps, and like <laughs> takes out the gun and like, sort of like declares themselves before the battle begins. It kind of sucks to never gain the benefits of surprise. So what I would say, as a, someone who ran this, I've only ran, yep. Yeah, also, <laughs> caveat to all of this, while we are both experienced TTRPG players and, and GMs and big Transformers fans, we have only run two sessions of this. So take this with a grain of salt. The system is still new. And we invite you guys all to, you know, come to your own conclusions. Comment down below your experiences with the game if you have any. Uh, if, you know, uh, on whatever platform you listen to this on, if it has places for comments we'd love to hear your opinions on some of these things my opinion for some of these hang-ups for gms is to use these hang-ups in more impactful 
situations. Uh, like I would say impulsive could be really great to use if, you know, if the Autobots are outnumbering like their Decepticons, like let's say they've come upon two Decepticons who are sort of on patrol and there's five Autobots, I would say impulsive definitely would apply because that character who's impulsive is definitely going to be feeling themselves and want to jump out. If they see like, if that character doesn't necessarily have a reason to want to get Megatron right away, if they see Megatron and they're level one, I'm not going to make them like, like eliminate surprise for potentially the whole rest of the group. There are other ones uh, that I think are similar to that, where you might want to opt to not implement a hang up in all situations. But I think in situations where it can be done, it can be a really interesting way to sort of mechanically reinforce a character flaw. Absolutely. So yeah, influences, really, really good ways of getting your your character's kind of story told, your character's like backstory into the campaign and just really allows you to kind of get that that story creation from your character into the overall story and kind of integrated into the story. Let's uh, go ahead and move on to Origins. Now, Origins is uh, kind of like you expect. It is the alt mode of your of your character. Uh, this is kind of equivalent to like races in other gaming systems, uh, and it's effectively just kind of like the uh, the your 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 physical your the physicality of who you are of what your body mm-hmm. is and what it can do. So just like other gaming systems, it the the Origins adds, uh, actually, uh, unlike other gaming systems, the Origin adds quite a bit to Transformers because it's not just a little, couple of small flat bonuses. It does help to define what your character is actually going to be capable of and what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, things like movement speed and various other abilities, it's a very impactful choice. Uh, for example, like if you wanted to be a jet, you're likely going to choose the Seeker, uh, Seeker Origin, which is going to provide you with a fly speed to your alt mode and allows you to just kind of like zoom around the, the battlefield. Now, one thing that they did that was really, really good was they, they did not, Renegade didn't give you a list of vehicles that you could choose from. It allows you to just pick the Origin as a type a vehicle, kind of a, a flavor of vehicle. So again, like the seeker is going to be a jet. The champion is going to be a car or like a, a racer, a uh, race car of some kind. You have other things like the monolith, which are just like big old giant trucks, but it doesn't define what you have to look like. So if you want to be a seeker, a seeker is going to give you a, a fly speed. So you could be a jet, you could be a helicopter, you could be a prop plane. You could be a hang glider if you're into that. Yeah, yeah, I think they do a good job of sort of leaving it open. They give a bunch of examples as well in the description of these. But yeah, defining the nature of your alt mode uh, in the system, I love how open it is. Uh, I think that generally most people will sort of like fall into sort of similar things. But I think that the fact that it's so open is really great. Um, I think of things like the lookout uh, origin. Um, which, you know, you could be a small car uh, or you could be something that doesn't move. Uh, like, I think that if you were to categorize a character like uh, Soundwave, his alt mode would be Lookout, which can either be like a small vehicle or a, um, 
like an object potentially that doesn't have like a movement speed itself. You'll gain like a 20 foot little aerial speed. So you can sort of like hover or something like that. Um, but it, there's so much like flexibility in there. Um, yeah. Hover on the sound waves. Yeah. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so like, what's great is that they have some examples in here to briefly just sort of going over the various origins. Uh, we have the champion, which are sort of like fast cars, is generally. It's like, other than the seeker, which is like your flying jet, it has the fastest mobility. Uh, and it gives examples of like Blur, Jazz, and Sunstreaker as Autobots with a uh, chassis that we would categorize as Sunstreaker. There's the cutter, which is like your aquatic vehicles. Uh Boats. <laughs> uh, think of characters like Broadside, uh, Sea Watch, Sea Spray, Depth Charge. That's a more niche one. Uh, and I think that you definitely want to like work with your GM to make sure that there will be plenty of opportunities to go into water. Uh, right. Our adventure took place uh, in Nevada, not famously known for its water, but there was a dam uh, with like a reservoir. So there was some some, some water to move through. Um the lookout, like we mentioned, is like a smaller vehicle, um, whether you want to be like a motorcycle or a small, like if I would say like Bumblebee as a Volkswagen bug would count as uh, a lookout. I sort of see it as your catch all for more generic or like standard vehicles. I don't fall into any of the other categories. I think lookout is a good uh, qualifier for that. Good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you just want to be like uh Impreza, just like, <laughs> or like some, you know, if you just want to be a Kia Rio, I don't know, like some like nondescript car like that, uh, then those are vehicles that I think the lookout could potentially be really good for, um, where everything else, like the champion is generally a fast car and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a flashy car. Um, so you could use that as well. Let's see. After that, we've got the monolith, like Michael uh, mentioned. Uh, these are like your big vehicles. These are like big 18-wheelers or like big trucks, uh, something heavy-duty. Uh, Fire engine, out- stuff like that. It's things that are just yes. heavy, but not necessarily combat-focused. Yes. That would be something like the Rainmaker, which is built for war. <laughs> uh, usually, uh, likely like a heavy military vehicle. But it does mention that you could something less obtrusive like a sort of uh, like a combat uh, jeep or something with like armaments on it. Uh, generally, the idea is that the Rainmaker is a military vehicle that has guns on it. There's the Outrider, which is sort of like, I would say like Hound would be a good example of someone with an Outrider chassis. This is uh, an alt mode that's meant to go in all terrain. Yeah, like an off-road stuff. Yeah, off-road vehicle. Like we mentioned, the Seeker, these are your jets. I think Windblade is a great example of an Autobot with the Seeker uh, chassis. Um, Mm -hmm. They do have a thing in there about how fast they can actually move. You don't get to move it like Mach 2 in combat because the amount of, like, spaces you could move in a single round is ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And so they do have some limitations on that. They have, like, a little blurb sort of talking about it. It's also kind of silly to assume that if you're screaming past someone at Mach 2 that you're going to be able to hit anything. Right. (laughs) Uh, I sort of see it as that, like, if a GM wanted and, like, if they needed to get someone to, like, bring a message or, like, go somewhere really quickly, I would say there's room to allow a Seeker, like, Transformer to gain a lot of speed in sort of narrative time. But then when you're going down to combat time, you know, then we have to sort of impose some mechanics for the sake of everyone's sanity. 
And then the last one is support. This one is pretty flexible where you could be a construction vehicle or an ambulance or like a fire truck. It's, there's some like overlap uh, with it and the monolith, I think, in terms of like some of the vehicles that qualify. It's kind of interesting when you mentioned that the lookout you you felt was a good kind of catch all. I kind of feel like this is the the catch all kind of interesting origin. So, so this one, I I would I I guess I would disagree with you on that because this one, in terms of the way it's described. Uh, I can just read the little blurb here real quick. Like the structures you're named after, supports prop others up. Though you don't tend to participate in fighting actively, you brave the thick of battle in the name of helping your allies. That said, like any Cybertronian since the war broke out, you typically carry a weapon at all times and know how to use it. You're likely to choose alt modes that let you assist humans in emergencies between missions like ambulances, rescue helicopters, fire trucks, and bulldozers. So that's why I sort of see them as those, whereas the lookout can maybe be like a smaller vehicle. See, when I, yeah, I mean, when I think of it though, I think of like the lookout as like, you know, the motorcycles, the little Daitani unobtrusive cars, mm-hmm. or like the, you know, very, very spy. Yeah, for sure. Spy focused kind of thing, whereas support feels like, all right, it's like almost anything else because, you know, you're, you're lumping in rescue helicopters and bulldozers kind of in the same thing. So yeah. It's kind of got that Hufflepuff feel yeah, to it. You I, know? Think, I think that works for, <laughs> for sure. And each of these, we're not going to get into super high detail, but each of these provide various benefits that I think do a good job of sort of fleshing out uh, what you might want an origin to do. My gut reaction when I saw them was that, gosh, I wish these things did more like in combat to like allow me to use them in certain ways. And it's not that you can't use them in combat. I think with like, once you have like weapons that you have, like maybe like sticking out of a vehicle, you have a lot of flexibility uh, in that way. But I think upon rewatching some of the cartoons uh, recently, <laughs> the thing that I noticed with this thought in mind is that the transform, the Autobots are using their uh, alternate modes mostly to get from point A to point B. And if they need like a burst of speed, but in combat, at least in terms of cartoons and that sort of thing, once a fight breaks out, they're mostly in bot mode, you know, gaining to cover, you know, shooting at their enemies, trying to gain their objectives, but they're not like transforming as quickly from moment to moment once combat begins. Clearly, you have listened to Empire of Rust then. Well, I, I have, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm catching through it. It's quite a backlog. Uh, and it's all a lot of like really fun stuff. But I would say that like, I think some people <laughs> might see these origins and be like, that's all that they do. They grant me like a fly speed and like one, you know, some essence score bonuses and like some other like flyby or like uh, ramming attack. Um, like they don't provide anything else. And I will say that you can add something if you want. But I think something that we found was that in combat, you are likely to find situations where they're very useful that don't necessarily uh, equate to some sort of like active combat ability, like special attacks that you'll use them for transporting uh, innocent civilians who might be in danger or using a built-in mm. weapon that, you know, maybe sticks out of the hood and now you can shoot, but now you have the benefit of mo- the extra speed and mobility of your vehicle mode with some shooting. There are some penalties that apply for moving too fast while using a weapon, but, you know, all of these things are present, whether it's like getting to like a higher vantage point or, you know, busting through a wall. Like if you're like, want to go to ramming speed, it's like a big truck. Those sort of happen, and then you're going to have so many other perks from your role or class 
that I think it works out in the end. But that's sort of my my general thought process was that while they may not look like they do a lot on their on their surface, I think they're they service what we should expect from Transformers. Let's uh, go ahead and move on to the next section, the roles. Yes, the roles. This is sort of like the the big part. I think this is the thing that people get really excited about outside of the origins, which is sort of like the very exciting as a Transformer, but like what you do uh, in moment to moment stuff. This is the this is the big one. So yes, these these are like your character classes. This is going to be basically what determines what your role <laughs> as an Autobot is. Some of them, I feel like, fit within our understanding of generally of like RPG archetypes. But mm-hmm. some of them are definitely much more unique. Uh, they don't fit into one of those things when we think about like a like the tank, like a fighter or like a wizard or like the healer uh, and stuff like that. Some of them do. Others are a little bit more oddball when it comes to fitting into those uh, scenarios or those classifications, I should say, which I think is really interesting. I've actually found that it has a lot more in common with uh, sci-fi themed settings. Mm than it does with a fantasy one. I guess that makes sense. For example, like the scientists and analysts and stuff like that, like that really does kind of focus more on like the intelligent kind of like skill-heavy characters Mm -hmm. that you'll find in in sci-fi. You have scouts, you have warriors, you know, these kind of like are very defined archetypes, both in fantasy and in sci-fi. The one that is very unique, and I wish there was actually a few more of of things like this, is the Mode Master. Yeah, Uh, Mode Master is very cool. That's certainly one of the most unique and kind of interesting ones from this from this uh, rule set, partly because it is so, so Transformers specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Modemaster allows you to do like either a uh, become either a triple changer or it allows you to be a. What was the other uh, the other focus there, Brandon? Yeah, it's a micro linked micro. Yes. Yeah. So- yeah, so whether you want to be a triple changer or microlinked, where you basically have like mini con companions, uh, think about like Soundwave with Ravage and um, yep, like uh, Rumble. Uh, if you have someone like um, Sound Blaster uh, and his very uh, various cassettes that shoot out, um, being a- the idea of. You mean Blaster? Blaster, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, the idea of. Being a transformer with these like little mini transformers that you can deploy for various specialized things is so fun. But the other part that's fun is sort of thinking about like how they integrate with your alt mode. Like I've spent many, <laughs> many an hour sitting there thinking about like if I wanted to be this alt mode, but I wanted to be a uh, micro link uh, mode master, like what would the alt mode of my mini cons be? You know, Obviously, we're in an era where cassette tapes are not quite as prevalent. Uh, and so thinking about some of these things, I think it gives an example. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I think it gives an example. Like if you wanted to be like a food truck and you're like one of your like <laughs> micro guys could be like a, like a deep fryer. That was sort of like you could have inside the, the food truck, which is a weird one, but it could totally work. That's amazing. But it also mentions that they could be um, something like they could transform into basically like maybe like some shoulder plates or like a helmet uh, or like a breastplate sort of thing. I think of um, Soundwave in Transformers Prime 
uh, his laser beak didn't turn into a cassette, but basically turned into like a breastplate attachment uh, for him. So it doesn't mm. have to turn into a full thing that's like a disguise that then gets integrated into your uh, alt mode or bot mode. It can be something like, you know, a gauntlet attachment or breastplate, shoulder plate, helmet, that sort of thing. So there's some flexibility there. Rex in Empire of Rust did that with his little his little buddies where they turned yes, into the, the herd the the plates on his uh, Stegosaurus back. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing uh that these have. So, you know, each of these roles, um, they have things called focus, which are uh basically something like a specialization that you can sort of go into and each one has two which is nice and i have basically like found that there's one that's usually more uh like utility and skill focused and the other one might have more of a combat application that doesn't necessarily apply for all of them uh an example uh could be the gunner this is a class that focuses entirely on using firearms uh to the best <laughs> of their ability this is like your combat focused character and this one has two different combat focused focuses um one of them is the gunslinger and the other one is the sharpshooter um and so these are focuses that don't really change what the gunner wants to do but more how they want to do it and what weapons they want to use whereas the gunslinger wants to use a variety of different types of weapon like guns and maybe even be dual wielding them the sharpshooter is really focused on that long range precision uh use of their firearm um and then you have ones that are a little bit more different from each other. Uh, like the scientist, you can be a medical officer. The example I think of is Ratchet. Or you can be a gadgeteer, which just comes down to like inventing new pieces of equipment uh, for you and your team. And I think of like Wheeljack. So those are two kind mm -hmm. of more different ones. Um, and the last example I'll give is the scout, which you have the prowler, which is I sort of see as more of sort of like the assassiny rogue version of the scout where you get some more abilities hmm. to get the jump on your opponents in combat. And then the somewhat confusedly named outrider, which is the name of an origin in a previous section of the book, which oh, oh. has more of the mobility options, which are very useful in combat, but don't necessarily translate to more damage. Now, one thing that I'll, I'll add to this is, and this is a potential concern as well. And this actually kind of like, I, I think, it was, uh, reinforces the point you had made earlier on there, Brenda. Whereas mm -hmm. you're, you really should be talking with everyone you're playing with and have a very different and very unique focus for mm. each, each person. The reason for that is because your roles here are fairly static. There is not a ton of, of choice options throughout the entire, uh, throughout your, your level progression. So anyone who picks warrior, for example, is going to get mm -hmm. a lot of the same benefits as someone else who picks warrior. So in that, and while you do have the two focus options, you can split off a little bit. You are still going to overlap quite a bit if two people pick the same role. Whereas unlike other game systems where there's a lot of different like options you have between each uh, uh, each level, there's that's a bit stripped down, a bit limited in this system. So. Picking uh, different different roles for each uh, each player is definitely a good idea, uh, just because you're you're going to effectively find that you're you're duplicating a lot of abilities and kind of stepping on each other's toes a little bit as you go through your your session. Yeah, I would say that for those looking into the system, I think a great deal of the customization for your character comes during the character creation. As like Michael said, 
Many of the perks that you gain are set by your role. You'll get some unique ones for your focus, but things like increasing your essences, that's preset in your role. Uh, for anyone who has the book, whether in PDF or physical form, you'll notice that on each role's first page, there's a table there uh, that lays out what perks you'll gain at certain levels, but will also tell you at what levels you'll gain bonuses to your various essence scores. And those are set out in stone. And so it's good to take a look at those ahead of time so you'll have a good idea of what your character is going to be good at. Each one usually has like one primary and then a secondary one. And then the other two essence scores you don't gain as many uh, bonuses in. Um, so it's good to take a look at those. You do gain some customization where at certain levels, players can select general perks uh, from a separate chapter. But those are a little bit, you know, they're not going to get so many of them. They sort of come at the same cadence as ability score increases or options for feats and something like D&D 5th edition. So they are a small way to customize, but you don't get as many divergent customization paths as you're leveling a lot, uh, leveling up. So really take the time, I think, during character creation to sort of like plan out and see how things are going to go for your various combination of origin, role, and influence. You think it's uh, time to actually run through a, a, the creation process? Gosh, it really does feel like it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, the book does outline uh, basically some steps for character creation. We're not going to get into the super nitty gritty here as we've sort of like gone into the various steps and sort of talked about some of the details there. Uh, but we will sort of like go through in general steps for what uh, the book suggests for the stages of character creation. Uh, we have some personal thoughts on how to maybe customize it, but we'll start with what the book says. So step one for character creation, or I guess we should actually go back further. There's a step zero described in the book, which is uh, important, is discuss with your GM and other players. Uh, this is sort of what we were talking about in terms of making these characters in a group. Um, I definitely think this is a valuable step to sort of sit together and brainstorm ideas for characters, like what kind of like role you want to play within the group. And also for the GM to tell you basically an idea of what you can expect uh in uh your missions together as autobots um you know and also provide an opportunity for players to help define what the jam is going to do if all the players mm -hmm. want to have a, a like a, a boat alt mode or something like that then the right. GM is going to have to to really start to think about like, hey, maybe I need to set this on a water world rather than a mm -hmm. desert. <laughs> so yeah, or if you're playing in a in a campaign like Empire of Rust, it would be good for the group to know that maybe intrigue and you know espionage and you know some a lot of like social right. skills will be definitely meant like definitely important. You know, obviously plenty of room uh, for a combat. Carapace has plenty to do. Uh, in Empire of <laughs> Rust. Uh, but you also have to have Sweet Spot there as well. Uh, but players will definitely probably want to know what uh, the GM has in mind. And the GM is probably going to want to know what they're interested in so that everyone has fun at the table. So I think step zero, discuss with your GM and other players so that everyone's on the same page, I think will be a great first step regardless of game. Uh, the next one, the, the official step one, is come up with your character concept. Now, this is going to be, um, this is going to kind of like go back and forth between like how, how you play a character, or how you build a character. I know several folks who are more mechanical about how they build characters. So they'll come up with, 
uh, the the numbers first. But I know plenty of other people who are going to come up with the the character concept first, the character idea first. Do you want to be this like, super beefy warrior? Do you want to be this this uh, uh, you know super intelligent scientist? What is going to appeal to you? So that that's kind of where you are at this step. Once everyone has kind of come across, you know, come to the idea of, hey, this is going to be the overall theme of the campaign. Now you're choosing the theme of of your character and what your character is going to focus on, and well, not focus on, but what your character's goals and roles and and ideals are going to be for the campaign. Uh, now, if you now if you want to play that you know, super intelligent character, this is the perfect opportunity. And this, this does kind of go back to step zero a little bit too, where you really do need to figure out, hey, should I be playing this like super intelligent character? Does Is this what the party is going to need? Is this going to be useful? So it might actually be a good idea that if you're coming to a uh, your first session, it might be a good idea to come with like two or three different character ideas or character concepts all of which you might enjoy playing. That way, if the the, the team is going to need some some shifting, uh, you have that option. You have that ability to be able to kind of like pick and choose what is going to one be fun for you, and two going to fit in well with the the group. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think having multiple character concepts when you come to the table for session, like for step zero, to discuss this with the other players, is going to ensure that everyone is going to be able to play something that they're excited about. And that's really what you know the the key to this is finding something that you're excited about and using that as uh you know sort of like your anchor as you're going through character creation process and having a solid character concept should make it easier because if you're like looking through the influences you'll probably see one that's like oh that's perfect that's exactly what i'm looking for and they don't have to worry about knowing what they all do because you found the one that sort of aligns with your character concept so i think it's a really important step once you have established your character concept, the second step in the book is essence score increases and skill point investment. This is a major part uh, of character creation because oh, yeah. skill point investment is like the engine that makes your character work. So uh, like we mentioned, there are four essence scores, strength, speed, smarts, and social. At the beginning of character creation, you're going to gain 12 essence points to spend between your four essence scores. You'll also gain an essence point from your origin later uh, during character creation and three more essence score, uh, essence score increases from your role at first level. So good to keep that in mind. Once you're done, you'll have a total of 16 essence points set into your character. There are two things that you need to keep in mind when putting in these essence scores. You need one point in each essence score. You can't have like a zero. I can't have a zero. Any of them because what if I want to have a zero yeah, social? I'm, yeah, zero social. <laughs> you just like, <laughs> like you can't communicate. You don't speak. I just walk into um, a room and just fart. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the extent of your socialization. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that you can't increase an essence score above 15. And that includes the additional bonuses from uh, origins and your role. I will say you don't have to worry about it because you've mathematically you can't get your score above a 15 with the uh, with these because one has to be in each of them. Uh, so you can't get up there. And also 
as you level up, these are going to increase. And looking through the enemies in the back of the book, there's only one character that I found in the back of the book that has an essence score above 15, and that's Megatron. And he's allowed to do that because he's the greatest gladiator. And uh, As you do. <laughs> as he is wont to do. Now, it's important clarification that 15, that cap is the is a cap for the entire game from levels yes. one through 20. So you cannot increase an essence score above 15 for the entirety of the campaign unless mm-hmm. you're you're unless you and your GM are talking or your GM has decided that you want to be a more higher level, higher power campaign. And they allows the players to do that. But typically, yeah, exactly. 15 is the the absolute cap for any essence scores at any point in the game. Yeah, sort of think of it as like getting a, a stat to like 20 in 5th edition D&D. Like that is sort of like the built-in mortal limit. And obviously in D&D, there are magical ways to increase your stats above that. But 15 is the max for your standard Autobot hero uh, in this game. But if you have an essence score at 15, you are very good at that. Like that's very high. Uh, but you will likely not end up starting there. Uh, at the characters that I made, um, I think... For those who are really specializing uh, in their various uh, skills, I believe the highest single essence score that I had uh, was eight. Uh, Wallop had a strength of eight and Eclipse, the scout, had a speed of eight. Um, And they were very good at the, the skills within those things. But that sort of gives you, I think, a good idea of where to start like you know like if i really want to be really good at this one thing what should my essence score be i would say somewhere between six and eight would be a good starting essence score for whatever your primary thing is if you want to be a warrior sure then use an energon axe like optimus prime you're probably going to want a high strength essence at level one and i would say starting somewhere between six and eight would be a really good starting point uh based on your preference really good values to to have there excellent yeah uh, and then so the other point uh, for this step is the skill point investment. Every time you invest a point into an essence, you can then uh, invest into a new uh, skill uh, within that essence or choose a specialization within one of the skills. So, for example, uh, or if you a, are a oh, third option is to train up that skill to actually start it off to start off the whole process with it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that includes starting one. So let's say I'm making a character and I have no uh, uh, points into something like initiative, which is its own skill under speed. If I don't end up investing anything into initiative, I'll be rolling a snag every time I roll initiative. You so let's say I've. That. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So let's say I was making uh, Eclipse, uh, the motorcycle alt mode. Uh, scout ninja character. As I'm going through character creation, um, I have, let's say, I've invested three points into his speed thus far, and I want to invest a fourth one. And I'm looking through his skills, and one of them is initiative, and I realize I have nothing in, uh, like, trained, uh, I have no ranks in that. I'm going to increase his speed to four, and then use that to gain his first rank in initiative. So now I at least roll a die for that. And you're going to do that every time you increase an essence. You're going to either choose a skill to get a rank in or uh, increase that rank or gain a specialization, which, like we mentioned before, allows you to roll up to all of the dice you have within its associated skill. Now, a little bit of clarification with that. 
the essence score increases that you get from your origin and your role, you do get skill increases with those, but they are oftentimes limited to the amount of the types of skills you can choose. So while yes. speed has, uh, uh, what is it, infiltration, driving, initiative, and, uh, and acrobatics, I believe, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Some roles, even though it gives you an increase to your speed essence, doesn't necessarily allow you to take a a bone or a, a skill a, a skill in initiative. Just say it might only give you the option to give it to like infiltration, uh, and that's because like the role or the origin is specifically slated to go in a, a particular way. Yeah, uh, this does not apply to the ones that uh, the essence score increases that you get at character creation, like the 12 points that you have to spend, nor does it apply to the extra essences that you get after level one. The ones you get at level one are generally limited to what you can get, and the increases that you get from your focus are also limited as to what you're going to get. But the bonus ones that you're going to get as you go from levels two through ten, not linked to focus, of course, uh, are <laughs> are available to whichever uh, uh, whichever skills that you want from that particular essence. It's a really like nitty gritty kind of like finicky rule, but it is something that you need to keep in mind as you're building the character. Yeah, and I know for those for those listening and watching this, we are sort of using a lot of terms, uh, and if you're not following along in the book, it can be sort of tricky. Um, I will say that of the steps, I think this is probably the trickiest one yes. uh, just because it requires a bit of forethought uh, where you have to sort of be thinking about where you want to invest these. I think that something I found when I was making characters, that I was super worried that I wasn't going to have enough ranks in various types of skills, things like alertness for things like looking around and perceiving things, things like infiltration to be able to stealth or targeting to be able to use my blaster. Uh, and like then all the other things I was really worried about that, which I think is why it's good to do this with the group so that everyone can sort of be aware. It's like, Hey, I have a really high alertness. I can sort of be sort of like, you know, the one who sees danger. Then you can you sort of be like, okay, well, maybe just one rank in that is fine. Or maybe mm-hmm. none. Uh, so that you can feel like you invest your skills uh, and get those up to where you want to be. And it's also possible that you do this and you sort of look at it and be like, no, I need to reinvest some of these and sort of shuffle some things around. Uh, don't feel like that once you like fill in that bubble or write it on your character sheet that it's done for, forever. Yeah, so that is step two, essence score increases and skill point investment. Definitely one of the more complex ones. Before we go on, though, I think there's one more thing that we need to add. There's four mm. skills in the, the game that are a bit more important than others, I think. Mm. Might, targeting, initiative, and conditioning. Mm-hmm. Might and targeting are your physical and your, your melee physical and your ranged attacks. So might is when you're trying to hit something and targeting is when you're trying to shoot at something. Since the, since all of your skills are based off of the essence score increases you have, these right here, like these, there's no separate attack role kind of thing. There's no separate attack stat that you can choose. It's all part of the, it all comes from your essences. Yeah. And there are some exceptions like finesse can be useful for like bow like weapons or something like, like, if you wanted to use like a, there are certain weapons like light blades, which I believe can be uh, categorized under finesse. 
Um, mm. which you use that bonus for. The scientists can potentially use their technology uh, test for using some of their weapons if it meets certain requirements. So there are exceptions, but I would say Mike is 100% correct where that, you know, based on the kinds of weapons you want to use, you should really focus in on might and targeting. Uh, initiative, obviously, for that. And then conditioning is how you're going to increase your health. It does not yes. go up <laughs> unless you're investing into conditioning. Absolutely. All right, so moving on to step three. Uh, this is probably going to be the easiest one out of all the character creation, picking your influence. And I say the easiest because, again, your influence generally doesn't have a uh, that much of a mechanical impact on your character hat. Mechanical, again? Ah, you did it again. So your influence, again, is uh, you get a, a somewhat small to medium impact perk uh, at level one. And then you get also get to, to choose either hangups if you are picking more than one. Uh, and you can pick some bonds to kind of give yourself some more story, some more backstory to your character. But influences are probably the, uh, again, the easiest ones that you can, that we can go through. Yeah, you'll gain that one perk uh, unless you take multiple influences, in which case you'll gain a couple. Uh, but there'll also be some hangups with that uh, those extra ones. But other than that, it's a pretty straightforward step. Uh, and if you have a good character concept, shouldn't be too hard to pick out some. Uh, let's see. After step three, we've got step four, which is selecting an origin. Uh, if you're sitting out to play Transformers, you have probably already thought about what vehicle you want to pick from. And we've already talked about them. Um, but this will be important, you know. Uh, but Brandon, what if I didn't pick one already? Well, if you hadn't picked one, uh, then you're going to want to go through and sort of think about how it might interact with your role. I think this is one of the coolest parts about character creation is the the way that the combination between your chassis and your role will sort of interact with each other. The idea of the benefits you gain out of being a support origin scientist medical officer is that if you want to go with like an ambulance, then you're going to be super useful for uh, having that extra support equipment that the support origin gets, as well as being able to be a medic, not just for Autobots, but also maybe for humans. Or if you mm -hmm. wanted to be uh, in the same example of medical officer scientist, being a monolith class means that you're going to be super survivable so that no matter how bad a combat encounter might be going, you'll probably be tanky enough to stay in the fight to keep the rest of your allies up. Or if you want to be a champion class, uh, a champion uh, chassis origin like Wheeljack, then you're going to be super fast and you're going to be able to beeline it your way across the battlefield to get to your allies quickly to provide that medical aid where it's needed. So even with just that one example of uh, a role, the choice of origin really does alter how your character is going to be moving from place to place and how they interact with different scenarios. Something else that you get with your origin that we didn't talk about before was your starting health. Uh, the amount mm -hmm. of health you have, uh, it gives you your speeds, your speeds both in bot mode and your alt mode, uh, along with your size as well. So the origin it really kind of provides like the the base the base look of your yes. of your character. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, this is probably the closest thing to something like choosing your species or race in another game. So yeah, you know, it will increase an essence score. Uh, you'll get your starting health and size. Um, and then also an origin skill. They're usually pretty small uh, and flavorful, but some of them can be pretty impactful. Uh, so take a look at those. But I would say for picking your origin, 
for Transformers, pick the one you think is cool. Like if you've always dreamed about your own Transformers character and you just thought that like Optimus Prime is just the coolest Transformer, then pick Monolith and just follow your heart, man. Like it's going to be super fun. And I think no matter what role you end up playing, you're going to find cool combinations uh, for any of these. So take a look and see what they offer. But I think all of them are super fun. And last, well, actually not last, there's still like one more step after this, but the last of like the big choices you have to make is, of course, your role or your class. Uh, so yeah, we're not going to, to go through every, uh, all the roles again, but this is where you are going to grab the, the role you have chosen along with increasing your essence score to, uh, I believe it's two different essence scores that you get at the level one. Uh, you get a bunch of abilities linked to your role at level one. Uh, I want to say you get like four or five different abilities uh, based on the role you chose. And there is also a uh, a couple of static abilities that all characters get. Uh, they get an ability called For the Allspark, which gives a uh, three or four different like little bonuses, uh, upshifts to infiltration tests, uh, the ability to effectively transform uh, equipment and immunity to carbon based diseases. <laughs> and the reason for that is because since the Essence 20 system is is kind of global to all of Renegade's properties, you know, both Power Rangers and uh, G.I. Joe. Uh, they did have to specify that, hey, you're not affected by human based toxins like, OK. Cool. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they mentioned it because the one of the books that actually just came out recently was the field guide to action and adventure, I believe. Uh, and it's the uh, the big crossover book from uh, Renegade. So they provide a lot of rules to to have uh, Transformers characters in GI in the G.I. Joe missions and Power Rangers characters in like Transformers. And there's a lot of like overlap and, and interplay now. So the kind of missions you could do with that is so wild to me. Like, the <laughs> idea that we're, we live in it. We live in a gaming era where we can do that. And there's like official support for it. It's super exciting. Yep. But yeah, so you get a whole bunch at the beginning for when you choose your role. Uh, you're just going to go through and get those. Some Something else to mention is that you're going to get training. Uh, this comes in with your essence scores, where it will also tell you, okay, this is the essence uh, bonuses you gain. And then these are the skills that you can choose to increase with that bonus, um, as well as equipment training. Each role will sort of specify uh, what weapons and armor sort of gear that your character is trained in, which is helpful for uh, gear acquisition before a mission. We're not going to get into it. That's a whole different kettle of fish. But just so you're aware, this is where that sort of information, which is basically like weapon proficiencies in other games, that's going to be defined by your role. And then something else to, that we I figured we'd mention very briefly is that during your uh, selection of your role, you're finalizing your skills at this point where you're getting your final bonuses to your essences and your final bonuses to skills. And then this is where you're going to determine your defenses. Uh, each essence has a defense associated with it, which will come up during uh, combat or even potentially not during combat, during exploration or even social encounters. And these are going to be 10 plus your um, essence score, uh, plus any additional bonus from perks and any additional bonuses from various armor you might be wearing. The defenses are toughness, which is associated with your strength, evasion, which is associated with your speed, willpower, which is associated with your smarts, and cleverness, which is associated with your social essence. Pretty simple addition. 10 plus yeah. essence plus perks plus any armor you got. Yeah. 
But it's important to note that you do have those uh, four separate defenses and they will come up. I will say overall, most often evasion will be the defense uh, that you get end up using during most scenarios. Toughness, probably second uh, after that. Uh, willpower, third. Cleverness is probably going to come up the least often. So in combat, those who have invested heavily into smarts and social, their defenses may not be as high. So they may have to be more careful about their positioning. But those defenses, when they do come up, I think will be super impactful. Willpower, I think, is often used for like, in the book describes for like sonic attacks. Uh, and cleverness is kind of can be used as a defense during like a social encounter where if you're dealing with someone and they like make a jab uh, at you uh, in like front of someone and you might like take a hit to your social status, it wouldn't necessarily be a contested like role as much as they're rolling against your cleverness defense. And if they can't beat it, it sort of means that you're able to get back at them and like, sort of like, mm. you know, exchange another sort of verbal barb with them, so to speak. Love it. Yeah, some really cool potential uh, for mechanical interaction there. The next step described by the book is step six, which is describe your character. This one, I feel, sort of like comes naturally uh, as you're sort of like making a character. You think about what they look like. So, you know, this is the time to sort of think about between the combination of your origin, your influence, your role. What does your Autobot look like? And, you know, feel free to use the essence uh, system with the scores to sort of think about what your character looks like. If they're strong, then they might be like very like big and, you know, uh, bulky and, you know, uh, rugged looking. Or if it's they have a low strength, maybe they're like skinny and maybe a little bit more delicate and fragile. Uh, <laughs> you know, if they have like, you know, a low social skill, maybe they're sort of like dull or anxious or shy or something like that. Uh, and that's something that you can uh, work with um, versus someone with a high social skill, maybe very elegant, very friendly, very, you know, diplomatic in, in all the way that they speak. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different uh, things that you can do with that. Um, and thinking about your gear, uh, we're not going to get too much of it into it in, in this episode, but, you know, your Autobot has certain external and uh, internal hard points for holding onto their gear. Um, and if you have any of them that are on your internal hard points, it means that you basically have this piece of equipment integrated into your body. Uh, the, the example I always think of is, uh, I believe it's Prowl's sort of like little gun things on his shoulders uh, in his bot mode, which I think maybe shoot like a foam or something, if I remember correctly. It's weird. De- depends on the episode you're watching. Yeah, it depends on the, it depends on the series. And, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's a good place to sort of think about, you know, where the various parts of your alt mode appear on your bot mode. You know, um, there's a lot of, like, Hot Rod has, like, the exhaust pipes for his uh, vehicle mode sort of on his arms, if I remember correctly. That's right. And I think he can even use them as blasters. So, like, that sort of kind of stuff, that's definitely where that comes in on this step. And the last step, again, another flavor one, is uh, form a team. And this is kind of uh, kind of figuring out how all of your characters are going to be interacting with each of the other characters. How do you know the other players? Or I should say, how does your character know the other players' characters? Uh, are, there, and there, are there any rivalries? Are there any friendships? Did you know one of your teammates kind of save your life before like, before the start of the adventures? You know, you can't figure out how you're going to be reacting to the other players' characters uh, to help inform and just to get a a better a better gaming session. Yeah, this one I think sort of pairs well with like the step zero, where it's like it's like work together to sort of figure out like how best these characters are going to mesh, not just mechanically but flavor wise as well. Yep. 
Uh, and kind of one last thing is, even though you, when you start off uh, your character, it's generally going to be at level one. Uh, Brendan, when you started us off, I believe you started us at level five, if I recall correctly. Uh, not level five, but I did put you guys to level two. Two. Okay, two is not even close to five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bumped you guys to level two just so that you guys could each gain a new perk from your focus so that each of you guys would feel like you had um, unique abilities that you guys could use. Um, but yeah, so if you're starting at a higher level, there is a little blurb in here that talks about like, you know, it's basically you just level up your character to that appropriate level. Just go through the, the role listing and take a look at what you get each level. And that's what you get. So simple enough to do. Uh, there's no other things that you are going to be adding over the course of like leveling up aside from what your role provides. So in that mm -hmm. respect, the system is very clean in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, unlike things like D&D uh, &D or Pathfinder, where in addition to all the stuff you get from your class, you also get feats every couple of uh, every couple of levels you'll get ability score increases every couple of levels and it's just a little bit opaque as to when that's going to be coming up with this system everything that you get for each level is clearly spelled out in the the role chart so you know exactly what you get yeah with the one exception of general perks which you get just a small handful of as you're going through and then you can pick from a chapter with these uh, general perks in there which can be a nice way to make your character a little bit more distinct but they are a small part of character progression but even then that's listed right up on the the uh, the roll chart yeah, for each yeah level. it'll 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 tell you when you can pick a general perk so <laughs> you'll know when it's coming all right well that was a lot of stuff there Brandon, uh, let me just get your uh, your kind of final thoughts as to the the system here. We don't need to get into too much detail, but just kind of give me your overall like uh, overall feelings for it before we wrap this up. Yeah, I, I think I like this system a lot. Uh, there's a lot of room for using. Uh, there are various mechanics that allow players to sort of invent little bonuses for themselves, like using narrative uh, sort of. Uh, storytelling mechanics. I think that character creation in this is super dense, but once you sort of get your head around it, you can really curate a unique Autobot um, to go on these adventures uh, and missions for. So I think there's a lot of fun there. I would say that like after making like four characters for the system, I might suggest for someone if they're making a character and they're maybe more mechanics minded to maybe pick their origin and roll first, get those initial uh, essence bonuses that are going to be set in stone first so they can sort of see where they're starting and then apply the other 12 so you can have like a more fine-tuned idea. Uh, I found before I was investing a lot into ones that I thought I was going to need and then I was getting extra from the ones that I, you know, was going to get from my origin and from my role. And so then I felt like, oh, I don't have, I haven't invested enough in these other things now. And now this has plenty. And now I feel like I'm deficient in some of these uh, roles. So, you know, I think that would be uh, as a tip for anyone creating a character um, who really wants to have a fine tuned character with the stuff that they want to do without investing too heavily into one area, maybe do it origin role. And then the essence point, uh, assigning those other 12 essence points. Uh, it could be useful. It was helpful for me to get a better idea of making sure I was balanced enough while still having a distinct specialization for each of the characters that we used in that adventure. I think it gets back to the entire idea of whether you're a more technically minded player who is building it with mechanics first. Ah, mechanics again, fourth time. You're incorrigible. <laughs> 
and between uh, between them and char- uh, people who are definitive role players and definitive character uh, uh, players mm. first. Whereas they're going to pick how the character is going to like, they'll pick the numbers based on how the character forms in their head versus the technical people who are going to build the numbers out first and then fit the role to to that. I know I definitely mm-hmm. fall into the the latter category latter category on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's and I'll echo what you said. The character creation can be dense, and it yeah. will t- kind of take you a, a little while to get to get through it and to make certain that you're getting all of your your skill points, your skill upgrades in the right spot in the right order. Because I think that is that's the the toughest part of it. But mm. it's a very unique system, and I do like how how there's how all of the skills are based off of those attributes that you have, and there aren't any dead attributes, which is something mm. that does come up sometimes in D twenty systems like fifth edition, fifth edition, and Pathfinder, where you're going to have a dump stat because you just you have no need for it, and it doesn't feed into any of your the skills that you want to use. Whereas on this, it is complete each since it's it's stripped down so much each essence is very clear and very defined and very useful you're gonna be rolling on them all the time yeah i definitely think it's one where since it is more like you know packed in each essence is gonna have a skill that you will probably want some level of investment in uh at least one and you know you you have to have one point in there anyway but i think that you're going to want to look at those and just sort of see where they are. But I think then also the benefit of it is that since I think if you follow that first step and are also tip for making these uh, as a group, these characters as a group. So you think about like, what is our team dynamic? You know, we think about iconic teams and various animated series or movies, you know, the A team where like, I think of characters uh, like shows, like you think about Transformers prime, you know, each character within Optimus's team, they have their defined skills and roles and also weaknesses that other people have. Like Bulkhead is obviously like one of the like tougher, his conditioning uh, stat is going to be super high, but his uh, smart skill is not going to be nearly as high as someone like Ratchet uh, or even RC who might be a little bit more perceptive. Um, and even that, right, like the, the allocation of your skill ranks within an uh, attribute is going to make your character stand apart, whereas Ratchet is going to have a high smarts, but maybe have his set into stuff like technology and science. Uh, someone like RC might have it more in alertness, same with like Bumblebee. And so but but what but makes like this nice holistic thing where in a system like this. I think players will find is that you're going to rely on your fellow players a lot more uh, because you can't do everything. Whereas in like D&D, unless you have a lot of really low ability scores, you're probably going to be rolling with some sort of bonus on any given check, right? Like you might have one or two stats where you have like a minus one or a minus two maybe, but like it's the D20 and then plus whatever your base score is, even if you don't have an investment in a skill, right? Like in D&D, if I'm not like, unless the Dungeon Master says that I can't roll for it because it's, it requires a certain like skill proficiency. Like if I want to try to climb a mountain, even if I don't have athletics, I can just roll a D20 at my strength. In this system, by imposing a snag, if you don't have a rank in a skill, 
means that you are going to be less inclined to try something if you're not trained in it, which means you're going to rely on your teammates. So there, I think there's a big focus on teamwork in this system, which I think is really fun. And I think it's cool that it mechanically sort of pushes players in that direction. Uh, so it's a good thing to keep in mind. Excellent. We are going to do uh, probably one or two more of these videos at some point in the future talking about equipment because that is its own its own beast. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole other thing. And probably talking about uh, things like energon points, story points, and kind of just like the mm -hmm. flow of of combat within a within a scene. So I think we'll we'll end up doing that at some point in the in the near future. Yeah, I will say one other tip uh, for people making their characters: the character sheet that like the free downloadable PDF does not have enough room for all of your character perks. <laughs> have an extra <laughs> sheet of paper or like an extra document to put those in. Just a little extra thing that I found is that little box. Not big enough. Well, Brandon, thank you for joining me uh, today. Is there anything that you want to, to plug or anything you'd like to, to tell people about before we head out? Oh, I think that, you know, uh, keep an eye out for uh, the upcoming episodes of Empire of Rust. Uh, I think it's a, <laughs> it's a great RPG. I, I enjoy listening to it, especially when I'm like hankering for a Transformers fix. Uh, but other than that, you know, stay tuned to more transmissions. Uh, I am uh, sort of a fledging, fledgling uh, voiceover artist, voice actor, looking uh, mostly just doing small projects here and there as, as a hobby, but really getting into it. Um, so keep an eye out. I'm going to be setting up a Fiverr account, uh, but not something I can really plug yet. Uh, but maybe in, in the coming weeks, I'll have something uh, more definitive to, to send people towards. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. And thanks for, for joining us as we talked about the, the Transformers RPG. It's been a, a long time coming. And we will see you next time. All right. Thanks, Mike. And thank you, everyone. Bye, all. <laughs>